Hello there. You are listening, of course, as you probably already know, to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for uh, the very end of July. It's July 31st, 2013. My name is Tom Chick. And my game of the week is not Duke Nukem Forever. This is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not Toki Tori 2. This is Andrew Neller, and my game of the week is not Pacific Rim the video game. Oh, there is a such thing, isn't there, Andrew? Oh, there there most certainly is. Oh, that thing looks you so sound sweet. Like, yeah, yeah, Andrew, it sounds like you know a little something about it. Is it maybe good, great, awful, so, intriguing? What do you know about it? Let's just say IGN gave it a five. So, whoa, because that's like a six on the seven to nine scale. <laughs> let's, let's break out the forbidden numbers as the Penny Arcade <laughs> comic goes. Uh, and isn't it just uh, a fighting game? Like, like yeah, it's a, like, like a two-person yeah. brawler. Uh, I'd say actually one of the more interesting mechanics in it, though, is actually that the Jaegers uh, uh, actually have two health bars and uh, one for each pilot, so you can cripple half the. Jaeger. Unfortunately, that's about as deep as it goes. <laughs> well, that's a start, you know. Hats off yeah. to them. Do you, do you know offhand who developed it by any chance? Uh, I am not sure. I can look it up real quick. No, that's okay. You know what? I'll give you guys a quiz. What do you think is worse, the Pacific Rim video game or, and Andrew, you answer first, the RIPD video game? Ooh, uh, I'm actually going to go with R.I.P.D. video game on this one. I think it's worse. Okay, Nick, what would you guess is worse, Pacific Rim video game or R.I.P.D. video game? I'm going to actually flip that. I'm going to go the other <laughs> way because I know the Pacific Rim video game is chock full of microtransactions. Ouch! Wow, I didn't. Wow. Okay. Well, well, Andrew, you're you're a guest, and normally I would hate to tell you this, but you have lost the contest right out of the gate. Um, the RIPD game. All I know about it, uh, you know, it's based on the movie, but it has co-op. All right. And so, even a crappy game, I think, with co-op is slightly elevated. Yeah. If, I'd rather play a crappy game with friends than a fantastic one most of the time. Than a fantastic one alone. Yep. Exactly. Yeah with you there uh all right well uh this week so andrew you've been uh doing this great little uh game diary for rogue legacy for us so if you're listening i hope you've been checking that out uh, each entry is the chronicle of a different character uh how are you holding up are you burning out on rogue legacy uh as you're progressing down this family tree how's it holding up for you i'm, I'm still having a ton of fun with rogue legacy uh I think I last checked my Steam account. I've got about 20 hours in it, uh, which is more than I'll put into a lot of games. So I, I'm still loving it. I still have uh, probably a couple articles floating around in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm still hyped about Rogue Legacy. Now, uh, do you realize with those 20 hours, you could probably have uh, a leveled up somewhat World of Warcraft character? Do you know what you're missing? <laughs> You know, that's true, uh, but uh, I'd actually rather be leveling a Guild Wars character if I was going to level anything. You know what? I'm going to flip the results of that contest. Uh, Andrew, you won the contest about which game is worse. Nick, you've lost. I'm sorry. The, the, Thanks. The, the trophy goes to Andrew. <laughs> 
Uh, so, Andrew, uh, just to let folks know, you've been doing the Game Diary for us. That's been awesome. You are a graduate student in chemistry out there in Indiana, uh, and um, I'm told you don't have class tomorrow. What does a graduate student in chemistry in Indiana get to do on August 1st? You're going in and probably like grading papers or probably like writing a bunch of formulas on a chalkboard, right? Oh, if only. Uh, actually, tomorrow I'll be out on a float with my boss and coworkers on the lake having fun and relaxing. And when you say a float, what is that? I think of like a big air mat. It's like a party barge? Sort of like a pontoon boat. If that rings a bell. Maybe that's another Midwestism. Sure, a party barge. Let's call that, but only for 10 people. There's a party barge. Like, do you guys know? Like, I grew up with things called party barges. It's an actual thing. It's not just something I'm inventing. Have you guys heard of? Do you know what party barges are? Or did I just? Is it? Am I dating myself? No, no, no. The party barges are awesome. Yeah, it's the two pontoons. It's the little cover. It's just like a functional platform that floats with a cover on it, so that you don't get too much sun on you. Um, so it's that kind of thing, right, Andrew? Yeah. So it's about that, but half the size, and you get to drive it around the lake yourself. So. And uh, now here's a delicate question: Is it a drag that you're doing it with your coworkers, or is that a, an asset? No, it's definitely an asset. We have a pretty good time together, so and you got to mm-hmm. go be pretty good friends to make it through a graduate program. So it, yeah, it seems like uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, it's sort of a gauntlet. In a way, graduate school more than teaching you anything uh, just tests your commitment. Yeah. <laughs> That's my experience. Uh, uh, All right. Well, have fun tomorrow. Um, Will you drink a beer? I will drink a beer. What flavor? Uh, Actually, probably looking at some uh, New Belgium Fat Tire. I hate beer, but we get that a lot. I I have a weekly land kind of thing, and folks bring beer over to that, and I I see a lot of that stuff, so I'm I'm told that it's good. Uh, I won't have any of it, but if either of you wants to come over tomorrow night – you know, if you're not too exhausted from your party barge trip, Andrew, uh, we'll have the that. land party. Yeah, come on over, and there might be some of that Belgian fat ale tire stuff. So. All right. I'll, <laughs> that I'll, stuff, the beer stuff. Try, try and get on the five-hour plane ride out there. But, uh. <laughs> uh, all right, well, what we were going to do is just segue into our games of the week, our pick for games of the week and news of the week. But I've actually, I would like to ambush you gentlemen today with a topic and I didn't want you to think too much about the topic because I wanted just some kind of knee-jerk reactions. I warned you you might be ambushed, but I didn't tell you before what this is. Uh, and in fact, I don't. I have no idea where I got this from. It's not really inspired by anything. Um, but I want to ask you guys, what are – and listeners, by the way. So if you're listening, I love it when folks comment. Uh, please participate. I, I want to know from you as well about this. Um, what are your earliest and most um, significant – Game memories, because I'm assuming all three of us are here because we, we play video games. This obviously started at some point, um, so I'll go first while you guys think. But I'm curious, what's the first significant moment you realize uh, about being a kid, I presume, unless you came to it later, uh, and being exposed to video games? And listeners, l- let us know in the comment section as well. I'd, I'd love to know uh, what your early experience is. Um, so I'll start and uh, say that a lot of times as a kid, I, I played a lot of arcade games. Like I would come back from school, and there was a Walmart on the walk back from school, and it would have this lobby with stand-up uh, arcade cabinets. And I loved playing Space Invaders. I put a lot of quarters, you know, literally into a Space Invaders machine, the original 
Teito, Teisho, I don't know how you say that, Space Invaders machine. I would do that every day after school. It was kind of a ritual. Um, I remember coming out of Empire Strikes Back and just being just batshit insane to find an Asteroids table, you know, an Asteroids game. Um, but those were always kind of a diversion. I think the first time where a video game just blew my mind, and I have no idea when this would have been. It might even predated some of these arcade cabinet things. I must have been... Yeah, junior high, maybe. But I remember going over to a friend's house, and I'm pretty sure he had to load this game from one of those cassette tapes. Uh, so it might have been like a TRS-80 desktop or something. But the game was called... I meant to look this up. I want to say Spellcross. It's not that, but it was some sci-fi text adventure. Starcross, maybe? Um, that was probably Infocom. And it was just a text cursor, and you could type in moving around the ship. But it came with a poster of the galaxy, and the poster had all these little systems on it, like star systems with planets, and it had coordinates that you could then go to your ship in text and enter it into the the parser, the little cursor there, like type go to computer, fire up warp drive, whatever. There was a series of steps you would go through, and then looking at this map, you would enter the coordinates, and you would go to this place. And this kid, who I think was a little older than me that I was hanging out with and we were playing, he, he wanted to show me this. this. This kid had been playing the game, and it was amazing to me that you could look at that poster and go to any point on there in this little video game world. And I think that's that, that was hugely informative to me uh, as far as video games being alternate worlds where you could explore, where you could discover things, where there was this sometimes literally universe of possibility. Um, so... Let me turn it over to you guys. Nick, what is for you an early instance of a, a video game just really gobsmacking you? Yeah, I so I played a lot of uh I played a lot of text based games, uh played the old you know, uh like Larry Holland, uh LucasArts type uh the you know Luftwaffe and um mm-hmm. Or test pilot video game or whatever. Uh, really liked them all. Just you know, just really into it. Thought it was great. I think the first time though, where I was just absolutely stunned by a video game, where I I could not believe that someone had made something so awesome, was the first time I hooked up my buddy's computer to my computer, like directly through the through the little parallel. Uh, cable. Can I guess the uh, game? Yeah, go. Would it have been Doom? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was insane to me. That that was crazy. That was crazy insane to me that somebody had figured out a way to do that and you know have uh, that kind of gameplay where where you could just fight each other in these crazy arenas. Um, that was nuts to me. That was absolutely just just crazy blown away. And I don't think I got much of anything done for that <laughs> six or seven months. Like just, you know, my friend and I, just that's what we did. We got home from work, boom, straight to that. You're, you're making me feel bad now about not liking uh, Rage. <laughs> because when you think of what, what a gift that was from id to 
not just kids, but to just people and technology, uh, this idea of, of a shared space inside this virtual world uh, was amazing with gameplay interaction, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing I remember about Doom, and Andrew, I apologize because I presume you're a lot younger than us. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. won't make any sense to you. But what I remember about Doom is playing it on my computer, which is like a, I don't know, a 386, or it was something that had a number like that. Um, and then realizing that I didn't have the turbo button pressed, and then pressing the turbo button on the computer, and suddenly that performance boost. And ever since then, by the way, any time that like a game is running slowly, or I'm always it, it, it's it scarred me for life. I'm always convinced there's some setting or some button or there's something that is going to magically improve the performance of what I'm playing, and I just haven't found the button yet. And it comes from that turbo button on my 386. Oh, that dirty turbo. <laughs> uh, why would you put that there? Why would that ever not be on? <laughs> that you know, I I remember uh, I remember that button uh, really impacting my enjoyment of a uh, Falcon 3.0, I guess it was, for a long time before wow. I even figured out like, oh wait, there's this button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Andrew. So, uh, as as the the sort of the the voice of a different generation, uh, what for you was an an early just video game experience that just left you flabbergasted as a kid? Sure. Well, I would say, well, my family did not have video games in the house for quite some time until I was much older. But my friends, on the other hand, who had older uh, brothers, all had uh, NESs. Uh, I guess I would give you an idea of how old. I was, or I am, uh, but uh, they, uh, <clears throat> I can still remember going over to my friend's house and being so excited to tear down to the basement and get to play Gauntlet on the original NES with my friend. It was like being able to share the same screen and just have two separate characters that were interacting with a dungeon in kind of different ways with classes and things made yeah. me want to just get over there and play all the time. Yeah. Um, and it just it made me beg and beg and beg my parents for a uh, a console of my own, and they ended up getting me the uh, Super Nintendo. Uh, sometime around when I was I think about eight years old, and they bought me a Super Mario All Stars to go with it, or maybe it was the pack in. I'm not entirely. I believe it was the pack in at the time, and I just remember being completely hooked on Mario games and just. The whole world opened up, and this will give you an idea too. As it turned out, the sixty, the Nintendo sixty four came out the very next year after I got my Super Nintendo. So here I was thinking, <laughs> I was, I had the best toy on the block, and all of a sudden here comes Nintendo sixty four, and now everyone's playing Mario sixty four and running around. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I stuck with that Super Nintendo for a long time. Uh, are you still a platformer guy? Because I, I was with you. Like I remember really enjoying some of the Mario games, but I, for whatever reason, I kind of lost that. It's not a gene, obviously, but I, I, I just that that facet of my game playing personality went by the wayside. Uh, can you still sit down and play a Mario game and enjoy that? No, honestly, I think the biggest draw for even the Super Mario All Stars for me was I believe three had that. Uh, like the versus mode where you and another player uh, kind of ran around just a little uh, area with a couple pipes and enemies and spike shells would come out and you'd have to collect coins. Mm-hmm. 
and try and knock them into the uh, into the enemies. Um, uh, sort of a little arena deathmatch kind of deal. Yeah, and so that that was what really hooked me into that game the most, I think. And so, to, I've tried playing like Super Meat Boy now, and I I enjoy it, but I just there's something about it that just you know jumping and trying to make complicated jumps and stuff just I, I can't go back to it. I don't think. Yeah, it's a uh, they're they're just. Far to me, there are far more interesting, meaningful ways to interact with video game worlds than jumping and bumping mushrooms with my head and yeah. uh, stuff. Uh, uh, Nick, uh, if, if I may ask, you've got kids. Did you see that moment happen in your children's life? Like, was there a time where you thought, "Ah, oh, now my son"? I think you have at least a son. Where I thought, "Oh, now my my child has had his mind blown by a video game." Oh yeah, it was it was definitely uh, Halo Two. Ah. Halo 2 for them got them. <laughs> imagine, though, I, I don't, we're just going to sound like a bunch of old fogies now, but imagine like go, just going straight to Halo, like having that be your first video game. How awesome would that be? We had yeah, to, I know. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. They skipped over. It, it's funny because we got, uh, ah, I guess when they were uh, like 8 and 10, we got, uh, you know, one of those cheapo, the little, you know, you could just plug the little controller in. It's got like twenty or thirty games on it. Oh, right, right, yeah. Into the TV, right? And we're like, hey, we're gonna show you guys. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Hey, kids, check out what we had. And you know, the kids like, it, you know, they did the okay. They played it for about five minutes, and then it was like, all right, this super blows. <laughs> And Why would anyone you... do this? I don't even understand it. Right. Yeah. So the question I have for you, Nick, is did you think it would go any other way? No. No, 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 no. No. I, I knew exactly what was going to happen because I there was no way, right? I mean, you know, it's like uh yeah, it's like Andrew's uh example with the Mario 64. If you started out on Mario 64, there's no way you're going to be okay with playing <laughs> You know, the previous version of Mario. What the heck is this? <laughs> I think I've, I've said this before, maybe even on this podcast, but uh, for me, the worst hell I can imagine would be if I had a time machine and not went back in time to like medieval days and had to deal with cholera and dysentery and, and war and serfdom and all that stuff, whatever. I could deal with that. If I was sent back to like 1985 or something where I only had like an Atari 2600, I would be in hell. That would be sheer, utter hell to only have that video game before you and to know you had to wait like 10 years before something decent was invented. Um so. Hey, enjoy your uh, enjoy your Empire Strikes Back on the Atari. <laughs> oh God, oh you're killing me, Nick. <laughs> you know what? What's terrible is uh, my early memory of console gaming is uh, not a happy one at all because I wanted you know either an Atari or an Intellivision. Mm -hmm. That is what I wanted. That is what everybody else had. That is yep. what all the good games were for. My parents did the parent thing. They went to Toys R Us, and for Christmas, they got me an Odyssey 2. I was going to even say Odyssey. Yep, I, yeah. I feel for you. My heart goes out to you. That's, that's <laughs> I got a traumatic it. experience for a child. And, and best of all, I don't know if you remember this, got the Odyssey 2, uh, and my father was super proud of you know getting me this console, and he got, like I think, three games or whatever, right? And at the time, games were like $80. Yeah. Right? So it was like Casey's Crazy Chase and, then you know, whatever knockoffs that they made for the Odyssey 2. And 
four months later, they got their pants sued off of them, and everything was in the bargain bin at Toys R Us. Like you, they uh, could uh. give away. The kid, the you know the Odyssey two stuff like it was. But that was great for you. You suddenly had this wealth of new software. Oh yeah, it was all crappy, but it was cheap. <laughs> it was super terrific. If I you know if I you know made sure my friends never saw it. <laughs> hey, what do you what do you got to play? Well, I, got, I got Casey's Crazy Chase. Ah, oh, jeez, Nick. <laughs> it's like your buddies get the Dodge Viper, you get the moped. Yeah. <laughs> As my, my friend who had the NES wanted to come over to my house to play the Super Nintendo, and then his parents bought him a N64, and suddenly he didn't want to come over. Oh, that's right, yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh, nope, I'm good. <laughs> well, Andrew, no time for that now. <laughs> so for those of you listening, I'd love to hear, too, about what, what's your, not so much your early childhood memory, but what's the one that really blew your mind? Like, what's the one that just really got you hooked on video games? Uh, I'd love to hear more more from you. So post that in the comments section. And meanwhile, we are now going to talk some news of the week. So, uh, Nick, why don't you start us off? What have you chosen as your uh, news story of the week this week? Well, I'm, I, I, I'm hoping that I'm not stepping on anyone's toes with this, but, man, that Phil Fish issue... That, that is kind of the big news of the week. Um, so if you are listening and you don't know what I'm referring to, uh, Phil Fish, developer of Fez and uh, maybe developer of Fez 2, announced over the weekend that he was quitting the industry. Uh, he's getting out of gaming entirely because he's had enough, and um, he just couldn't take the... You know, just the kind of harassment and uh, anger that's kind of directed at him uh, over the years now. Uh, you know, because he's he's kind of a personality. Um, if you know anything about him, he he certainly has a penchant for kicking over the hornet's nest. Mm-hmm. And he has said too, he's basically taking Fez Two with him. Like there will be no Fez Two sequel. Uh, that is yeah. correct. Yeah. He's, I- He's done developing Fest 2. He's not going to do any more on it. Uh, basically, you know, taking his ball, going home, F this place. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, why is this a big deal? So one indie developer gets frustrated and quits. Uh, what, what's the implication of that? Why, why would that be a big deal? Well, it, it, well, there's a couple things. So the other thing, and it's sort of related to this, is there was a Call of Duty uh, developer at the same time um, that – put out on uh, Twitter a couple changes to a couple weapons. Like, I mean, really insignificant changes. These were like fractions of a second for reload time. <laughs> well, first of all, there's your first mistake. There's no such thing as an ins- insignificant change in a game right, like Call, of, Call Duty. of Duty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, t- you know, unless you're playing, you know, in the stratosphere uh, uh, leagues for multiplayer I don't think the average person is going to notice a .06 difference in reload time. Um, anyway, he tweeted out this stuff and immediately was barraged with you know threats against his family, uh, obviously a bunch of racial slurs, uh, insults, uh, you know, people calling his home, <laughs> basically. So you know, Infinity Ward, you know, had to address it with their fans. Like, look, leave this guy alone. Uh, you know, he's doing a job and he's, you know, just trying to communicate with you guys. Stop being jerks about it. 
Um, so this, along with the Phil Fish issue, and there have been quite a few. You know, we, we had a few happen at E3 as well. And I think it's all coming kind of to a head now because people are sort of paying attention to the idea that uh, sometimes the fans can get a little out of control with the developers, right? And, I mean, if you scare off all the developers, what's going to happen, right? <laughs> You're not going to have many games. And unfortunately, many of these guys... Obviously, the you know Call of Duty developer is not one, but you know a lot of these guys that are very active on Twitter and other social media outlets, they're indie developers, so they don't have the insulation of a you know PR department or you know a marketing arm to get in the way, um, and in fact, all their activity on you know social media is their marketing, um, and it's their primary way to interface with fans. So. You know, if people just keep acting like asses at them, uh, you could have the Phil Fish situation where he just quits and leaves, or you could have a situation where a developer will just, you know, shut off the lines of communication and say, well, you know what, F it, I'm going to develop my stuff in private, I'm not going to talk to you guys, and you can, you know, suck up whatever I put out. Yeah, so, uh, Andrew, do you have a sense for this? Like, is it, uh, is do you, do you have this sense for our the... Toxicity is a word that's thrown around a lot. Uh, this toxicity between player and fan relationships in video gaming. Yeah, I mean, uh, so he mentioned, uh, sorry, Nick mentioned that uh, you know even you've got your amateur players out there tweeting at him, complaining about a, I think it's like a point six and maybe a point one or maybe a one point one second change to the way a gun works. And I have some friends who play Call of Duty not on a competitive level who, uh, while not tweeting about it, were sharpening their knives uh, privately uh, to me over the weekend, just absolutely livid that this <laughs> stuff was going on. And it's just... Uh, it, and, and believe me, I've played Call of Duty with them before, and they are not you know, that caliber, but I feel like there's this uh, entitled phase that gamers get into, and I, I don't want to call people out too much, but I just feel like people kind of... Uh, maybe take things too seriously when it's not their job. Maybe it's their outlet and they don't want to see it change or they feel it's hard to pinpoint a, a cause for all this, but I, I definitely can see the toxicity and the kind of just the vitriol that seems to pour out of gamers towards creators and journalists, frankly. Uh, hold that thought about journalists because I do want to hear about that. But um, I, I want to, kind of play devil's advocate here. Um, I can understand someone being upset about a minor change in a weapon in Call of Duty in a way that it wouldn't happen in another game like, say, Halo or uh, Unreal Tournament or uh, something published by EA, partly because the way Call of Duty approaches weapons is they're like character builds in an MMO. You invest time in a weapon, you eventually get a good skin for it that you're attached to that looks ridiculous, but you earned it, so you're going to use it. Uh, you unlock perks that pertain to it. You unlock components for it. So uh, part of the design mandate in Call of Duty is to get players invested in and attached to specific weapons, and it's a great contribution to the genre of gun porn. They've done it very well. Uh, so I can understand players being upset at these changes. Now, that said, I completely agree that there is a lack of perspective 
in yeah. how upset players get. Uh, and and this gets to what I think is kind of unique to the gaming industry uh, that we don't see in other forms of entertainment. And that is that the gaming industry, in many ways, some of them quite literal, is very young. And a lot of children who play Call of Duty who don't really know how to interact like an adult with <laughs> other people respond to this. And there are tantrums and... Uh, I think, for the most part, the best thing we can do is learn to ignore tantrums. Uh, and I personally, as a, as a guy who occasionally writes mean things about games that some of these children love, uh, it's it's a skill you develop. You learn how, and it can be referred to as thin skin, but I think of it more as a filter. Sometimes when somebody is critical of something you've written or said or done, you should take it to heart. You should pay attention and maybe look at the kernel of truth there. But a lot of times you should completely ignore it, not give it any credence, just let it slip over you, and ideally not even read it sometimes. Um, so while I agree that there is toxicity, I, I think that interfacing with fans, an important part of that is learning which ones to ignore. Um, yeah. Uh, and because a lot of them are young and don't know any better, and some of those ones who are young and yeah, don't know and any I, better I, are in their twenties or thirties. Yeah, so yeah. go ahead. Andrew, and I, sorry. I would definitely agree with that. I think that there's really kind of a two-way interaction there, and I think, you know, I think as gamers, we've got a, a wide audience now, and you're right, we have a lot of really young people who haven't developed mature social skills or the ability to understand criticism or changing in the things that they love. Um, but I'd say on the other hand, and they could do a better job of interacting with the people who make those changes or post negative or mean reviews that they don't like. Um, but on the other hand, you have the creators. And I think you can see various degrees, as you were saying, of people who have learned to interact and filter with the public. And some of those people, you just can't give the time of day they're just out there. They're going to say those outrageous things, and you know it may hurt to read it. But at some point, you have to kind of learn to just let it let it go because it's not really. I don't want to say that it's not really you that they're mad at because sometimes they really are mad at you. But a lot of times, they're putting their frustration into something right. unrelated to that at you, and you're just the the placeholder for that. And I will say, too, as, as Nick alluded in explaining the situation, uh, social media is a big part of it. Uh, you know, Twitter uniquely allows people to be badgered. You know, if that, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really good for that. Um, right. It's a direct so. line to you at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, sort of the role of journalists in, in, in this, Andrew. Uh where do you feel that sort of the media stands with this? Does it contribute? Does it help? Uh... Well, so I would say that uh, there are, you know, I would say that probably uh, in terms of receiving abuse, I would say that reviewers tend to receive the lion's share of abuse just from, you know, reading comments on reviews that people don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it's not just your taste in games that's under question. It's everything about your person. Uh, wait a minute. I don't think that happens. <laughs> I don't know. I, I seem to remember like a Bioshock Infinite review. <laughs> but in terms of like the relationship between fans, this yeah. idea that there's a toxicity among fans, yeah, that certainly gets applied to uh, to journalists as well yeah. um, and, and critics. Um, but yeah, so what I was like, but you don't feel that necessarily should journalists, should people who write about games 
is there anything they can do about this? So and actually, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Personally, I don't know. I feel like the more attention you pay to the the to- what I am calling toxic interaction between uh, fans and creators, um, I, I would say that certainly the media attention that's been paid to the way Phil Fish has interacted with some people who object to the way he does things and stuff has not been helpful to the situation. Um, If anything, it can fan the flames maybe on both sides. Maybe it doesn't, but it's not going to resolve the situation to run stories about it and try and analyze separately. To me, that's just, uh, that's like trying to just generate page hits on your website. But, and Nick, I know you because you you do a lot of great stuff for us on the front page of Quarter to Three. At times, you've you've clearly said to me, you know, this really doesn't belong up there. Like you are the kind of guy who feels that there are certain things, and I'm guessing you know Bill Fish saying some offhanded comment about Japanese games really aren't worth coverage, wouldn't you say, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I I think I don't want to trivialize Quarter to Three, but I, I feel like. You know, at least the news articles, or maybe at least the news articles I post are, you know, they're they're kind of more informative and lighter in tone. I I I don't really want to go muckraking through somebody's, you know, personal. uh, You know, like a good example is there was the whole, uh, I think it's called precursors, which was being made by a bunch of you know developers and by Dennis Dyack and all that. So they got no bit of. Hot water, right? There's a lot of financial stuff going on that's that's you know interesting. I wrote about that on the front page, and then there's another issue where someone working on the game who is in you know not the management level but at least a team lead level in on the you know in that development house uh, is in hot water with the law because of uh, allegedly having uh, you know child pornography. Uh, on his computer. Um, and, and I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know what? I, yeah, I could write about it. I guess it's sort of important. Um, but it's just kind of a downer, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just don't want to cover that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're, we're lucky enough at quarter to three where, and Nick, you and I have talked about this before, uh, the stuff we write about is it's pretty much the, the criteria for something being on the front page is that it's interesting to us. Uh, and I don't understand people for whom that kind of situation, you know, a developer being arrested for something lurid like that. I, I find that gross and embarrassing, and I don't find that interesting at all. Uh, <laughs> and similarly, uh, if Phil Fish makes an offhanded comment about all Japanese games suck, I seriously doubt he feels that way. I don't find that interesting at all, at least not interesting enough to highlight it and, and, and write about it and use it to generate attention. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think really... it was, you know, I think it was very obvious that when Phil Fish said that, he was, you know, making an offhand, uh, unplanned, right. you know, kind of yeah. just generalization, right? Uh, obviously, Phil Fish didn't think about what he was saying. He certainly didn't expect it to get, you know, thrown out into the news sites and, and become like a thing. Oh, Phil Fish is the guy that hates Japanese developers. Right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, stuff like that, I just, I, like, I don't, I'm sure people do find it interesting. Obviously there are a ton of people that watch reality shows. Uh, I just don't find that stuff interesting on a personal level. I just, meh. <laughs> I can pass by that news. I guess and, to me, I just hate to see games journalism turn into the TMZ. 
Right. <laughs> uh, which is kind of what I feel like sometimes a lot of the sites go digging for, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's that. By the way, Andrew, that's just such a facet of journalism in general. I'm constantly yeah. astonished at what kind of stuff shows up in my Google News feed. Like, yeah. why is this here? <laughs> why did this bubble up to the top? Good lord! Uh, so, uh, real quick, um, I am going to predict. Keep in mind, Phil uh, Fish has as his Twitter avatar a picture of Andy Kaufman. I am going to predict that we will, in fact, see a Fez two at some point. I don't know. Just a feeling. I'd, I'd put my money with you, Tom. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I there's a part of me that almost for Phil's sake hopes that he actually means what he says and he's going to go do something interesting and new with his talents because I just feel like from watching Indie Game, the movie, and who knows how they cut that, but and just these interactions that it just seems like it's a tough situation for him. But he does have some genuine talent, and so I hope... If he actually has really good ideas for Fez 2, we do get to see them. Yeah. So. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I play Fez, and I'm like, I really like what this guy has done. Uh, yeah. it just, you know, rather than listening to what he says, uh, just play his game. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so my news of the week. Um, this isn't really – yeah, this is news to me. So I'm going to throw this out. I'm kind of cheating here. Uh, my news of the week is actually kind of a question that maybe you guys can help <laughs> me with. Um what the heck is going on that when I play a game in Steam, I'm getting these stupid cards? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got to collect them, Tom. Tom, oh you don't God. want them. They just pull it up your inventory. So uh, after this, I'll send you my Steam ID, and uh, you can send them all to me, and I'll take the hit. You're one of them, Andrew. <laughs> You no, are collecting no, no, Steam cards. You're crafting badges. You care about your level, don't you, Andrew? <laughs> uh, I don't care about my level, but I do enjoy the badges. I will say that. All right. Well, explain this stupid thing. I've had a few friends who have sort of tr- chatted with me, and they're showing off their little badges, and I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't care. But I do care that every now and then when I stop playing a game, I quit out of a game in Steam, I see, oh, I've got a message or something, or, oh, a new item in my inventory. I unlocked something, or maybe someone gifted me a game. Let's see what this is. Oh, oh, great. It's a card of one of the units in Sins of a Solar Empire. What does it do? Oh, nothing. Great. <laughs> so, Andrew, explain what's going on with these sure. things to me. So the, the badges system in Steam, uh, I'm, I'm assuming... Uh, it's really widened up uh, with the introduction of the uh, Steam sale over the last uh, couple weeks. It's now over. But uh, initially, during the beta, it had been pretty limited pretty much to just Valve games. Um, I think there were another couple exceptions in there. Uh, but now it's almost every game on Steam, or at least most of the games I play, is offering these cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems like they can change the number of cards per game. So... I've seen games with five cards. I've seen games with eight cards. Um, I think there's some with more, aren't there? Yeah, there, there are even more. Um, that's that's the most that I am interested in collecting. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so what what happens is as you put time into these games, you earn drops, card drops, and so for most games, you can earn three cards uh, by playing the game, mm-hmm. uh, and then the remainder to collect a full set. Oh, and it's random, too. So you could end up with two of the same card, you could end up with three of the same card, and still have more to collect. And it's uh, very clear, by the way, saying, oh, you're cut off now. No matter how much more you play, you're not getting more cards, if I'm not mistaken, right? Exactly. It says you've exhausted all the drops from this game. 
and then sometimes there's a little tooltip that asks, what does that mean? And I always click it hoping that maybe it'll tell me how I can earn more, but it never does. Uh, and so what ends up happening is if you collect a full set of these cards via trading with your friends uh, who might also be playing the same game, or more insidiously, you can buy them on the Steam Marketplace for real money. Uh, if you collect a full set of these cards, you can craft badges. Um, now, here's where I have not seen. I have no idea what's going on because I'm not about to faff about and get a full set of cards. What is a badge? What can I do with it? Why do I want it? What's the deal with those? So when you craft a badge in Steam, you mm -hmm. get experience towards, towards your Steam level. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, regard, whether you care about that or not, or if that's just something you want to show off with your friends, then that's fine. Uh, you also get uh, card drop in some cases, so you'll get another card for that game. Um, you'll oh, wait, get, haven't you already collected a full set? Well, but see, when you craft the badge, it consumes all the cards, so now you have none of the cards. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yes. So why do you need them again, though? Why do you still want to collect them after you've crafted the badge out of them? Well, the badges have levels. So oh, good lord. <laughs> you can level up your badge and get increasing amounts of Steam experience. And, uh, for instance, the rewards from the summer sale, you could get uh, postcards, um, which are the kind of the cute little images that were on the, the front page. You could get uh, backgrounds for your Steam profile. I have a Bioshock background. Uh, that was the only one I managed to get, although I did level my badge up all the way. I'm kind of ashamed to say. How, uh, how, did, how, how did they go? So each time you get a set of cards, it gives you one level on the badge. Is that right? Yes. That one went up to level five, if I recall correctly. Okay. So I had to collect five sets of five full sets of the cards. Oh visually, what is what is what is a badge visually? What? Uh, so each time it changes. Um, this was kind of like a little. Chevron, like a Air Force kind of symbol with kind of wings, and it was called like the Summer Getaway, kind of like how they used to give kids wings on airlines when you would get on. Mm -hmm. um, I think that went away. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the baggage fees pay for those, but uh, <laughs> stupid. Um, so you, so that was like the, the, for instance, that was the Steam one. Um, other badges have different looks uh, that can be kind of related to the game. Um, and then each increment of the badge changes in appearance or color. And so it kind of just depends on that individual badge as well. Where do these badges sit? So then they sit in your inventory, um, and you have a under your Steam profile, if you go into the layout, you can choose one that displays your badges when someone clicks on your Steam profile. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it Oh, and it also opens up Steam chat... Uh, Symbols, so little emoticons. That's what I've been. That's what some of my friends have been dinging me with, a little picture of an eagle or whatever. And I'm like, what is that? It's like an emoticon kind of. I'm like, what, what is that? Why do I care? What? And, and they think that they're goading me. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you level your Steam, uh, your, your Steam level increases. I think one of the bonuses is that you get additional uh, friends list slots. What? <laughs> how, how many do you get normally? So I'm not sure of that because I think I only have about six or seven friends on Steam. So I'm, I'm nowhere near that cap. But uh, I wasn't even aware there was a cap, actually. Cause I, I thought it was really high. Isn't it really, really high? 
Yeah, and possibly it's to increase your Steam friends cap so you can add more people as friends, so you can look at their inventories to see if they have the cards you want, so you can get Ah, more. So you can level up your badges and get more Steam levels. So, So Nick, how many of these do you have, and how many trades have you made? So I have one (laughs) from the sale. Okay. You you have one card. Badge. Because you just, like, during the sale, you just kept getting them, right? All you had to do was vote on the front page for whatever the, uh, like, they were having daily sales or whatever. So every time you voted, I think you got a, you either got a card or you got a card every three votes or something like that. And so I just wound up with a badge that way. You accidentally got a badge. You didn't trade your way to it. You accidentally got this. No. No, but I have (laughs) sold a few badges. Or not badges, but cards. You can sell the cards. Oh, yeah, like, I don't know, 20 cents each, 15 cents each, like, a tiny amounts, but, you know, it was enough to get uh, a couple, you know, technically free games for me. Yeah. Uh, how, there's no rarity among the cards, though, is there? Uh, so it's as rare as people are playing the game and getting the drops. Okay. So, and additionally, there is another level of uh, foil cards, which are kind oh, of... Oh, yeah, just- what are those? What's up with that? So that's just a special version that's a more rare version of the same card. Does it, does it create a different kind of badge? Yes, or? you can get the like the foil version of that badge if you collect all of those. And what, what do those do? Uh, I think they have a higher XP value. I have not touched that because those were going for... I only got one of those cards, and those were going for about three or four bucks a piece on the marketplace. And they're so. still just random drops, though? Yes, Wait, e- each foil card was yes. going for like three or four or whatever dollars. That is correct. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I might have yeah. to look through my cards. How do you know they're foil? I mean, there's obviously it'll some it'll tell you foil. So it, when you go to like the badges uh, portion of your profile, it'll tear out like it separates by game, and then each game, if you have a foil card, will show the regular cards, and the foil card will be in a separate row from the other ones. So I am about equal parts disgusted and fascinated with this. It's split 50-50. I could teeter one way or the other with just a gentle breeze. Uh, we'll see how that goes in the future. I think it, uh, it ties into my uh, habit of collecting baseball cards as a kid. I've got kind of that ah. that compulsion a little bit. So it, it really kind of is satisfying for me to complete a set. Uh, so what games have you completed sets on? So, I have to pull up the list, I'm, I'm afraid. So it's a long list, interesting. <laughs> it's a long list. Uh, the, the Steam sale in particular was kind of the, the main attraction for me, since it was a limited time. Right. Uh, I've also completed the FTL uh, badge, mm-hmm. the Super Meat Boy badge, and the uh, Reus badge. Ah! Yes. Because that was one, like the Reus one, I forget if it was... It was the giants or the resources. I forget what was on the badges, but when I liked the game, I liked seeing what... For instance, I've been playing some Monaco recently, and there's a badge for each of the characters in Monaco. And I'm like, oh, look, I got the mole. I'm glad. It made me want to get the gentleman, the redhead, the lookout. Like, it, you know, I see one of them, and I'm like, yeah, I can understand. Now I want to collect the other ones. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's fun. I... The, I think the rarest ones were the giants and like the forest ambassador and the or the different types of ambassadors. Ah, right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah, because that would be eight then. Good. Yes. All right. So. Uh, all right. So uh, that's my news is that I've been looking at these and not really knowing what they are, and I've been taunted about them, and I don't really care. And uh, thanks for explaining that to me, Andrew. So. Sure. My news of the week is I've spent too much money on cards. And stuff. <laughs> Is that really your news? Because that might no. be news. Maybe that's no, yeah. that's not. <laughs> so Excuse what my have... wife, but don't tell her to listen to the podcast now. <laughs> we'll keep that secret. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, then what besides your expenditure on badges and games on Steam is your news of the week, Andrew? All right, so my news of the week is the intriguing story of the doom that came to Atlantic City. Oh, good oh boy. <laughs> what happened with that? Yeah, when when can I expect my copy? So you may actually be able to expect a copy now. What? Well, I know yes. you can download the, the print and play. No, no, no. no there's a the new twist in this story. What? Uh, so maybe we'll start at the a... beginning. Tell us All what right. happened. So because I was I was there from the beginning. There's this great Kickstarter that combines Monopoly and Cthulhu Mythos. And for me, the tweak that got me on board was the developers of this board game hate Monopoly, or they they recognize that Mon- Monopoly is a miserable board game design. So their tweak was we're going to make it Monopoly meets Cthulhu, but instead of buying the properties, you're destroying them and gathering cultists and trying to end the world. And our board game is called The Doom That Came to Atlantic City. Here's our Kickstarter. So from there, what happened, Andrew? So that sold me on the game entirely. Um, So I I backed it. I've been watching the uh, updates, eagerly awaiting my copy since the game was finished when they submitted it uh, for Kickstarter. So all they should have had to do was work out the kinks with uh, basically producing the physical uh, copies and rewards. Um, As it turns out, it seems that we were all deceived by the backer updates, um, and that the game had never gone to the printer, and that the money had been used instead to start a company. Um, I believe it was called the Forking Path. Yep. Uh, a fellow named uh, Eric Chevalier, I believe was his last name. Um, yes. Basically took command of all the funding and, and founded this company, Forking yes. Path, right? So rather than deliver the goods that they had made, you know, they had promised everyone they were going to do, they decided to start the company, the company, excuse me, and then uh, last week we're told that the game is canceled and that uh, this individual may pay our money back someday, uh, eventually as he's working hard and setting aside money. Hmm. Uh, so that was a huge disappointment, but then the uh, creators of the board game, and, and just to specify, Andrew, because uh, the folks who put this together, the, the creative guys behind it, Keith Baker and I think it's Lee Moyer, uh, yes. they, they, have, they have explained they didn't see any of the money and they weren't aware of what was going on. So there's this weird divide, if the stories that we're getting are to be believed, where there was like a kind of a suit figure, Eric Chevalier, and then there were the two creatives, Keith Baker and Lee Moyer, uh, who were out out of the loop in terms of what was happening. Yes. So it sounds like Baker and uh, Moyer finished the game. They handed it off uh, to be uh, to for the Kickstarter and everything, and they were expecting their royalties at the end. So it sounds like no money ever actually went their way. Um, so as a result of that, actually, the rights reverted back to them for the game, and so they announced that they were going to work to make a print-and-play version available, uh, minus all the cool figurines that had been promised in the Kickstarter. Um, but at least they were going to make an effort to get the game out for fans uh, once they were able to reformat some things. So um, it looks like 
I believe today this happened. Uh, Keith Baker posted, yes, July 31st. Keith Baker posted uh, on his website that Cryptozoic uh, Publishing Company has oh. decided to save Doom, the Doom that came to Atlantic City. Um, and at their own cost, they will be printing uh, the actual physical board game and getting it to the backers. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Do you guys yes. know who Cryptozoic is? Because I'm... I'm uh they did this Sentinels of the Multiverse card game that I've heard great things about. I believe that's Cryptozoic, isn't it? I believe that is correct. Oh, uh, you know what? Am I screwing up? Hold on. There's there's a not. DC deck building game. Am I sc- is that Cryptozoic? Uh, let me... Let me uh, yeah, they did that. They also did, um, I, I think more famously, probably not to us, is the World of Warcraft TC. Mm. Yes, that's oh. the DC comic deck building game. Uh, they have a game called Raffle uh, and Batman Arkham City Escape. Okay. They're featured uh, games at the moment. So. But yeah, I really like the DC deck building game that they did. Uh, who okay. did Sentinels of the Multiverse? Anyway, yeah, so I screwed that up. But yeah, so I, I do know their name from DC deck building game. I believe that was, yeah, that, I think you talked about that uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, that one sounded intriguing to me. I just called deck building game. Uh, yes. <laughs> It is literally deck building game, and then they'll have various variants of it. I have DC deck building. The Lord of the Rings one just came out, and yeah, uh, so good. So there, uh, that that's awesome news, Andrew. Yeah. So, oh, and you know, actually, I should mention because I just jogged my memory. It's sitting across the room from me. Uh, they put out a uh, food fight and a food fight snack attack two card games, which are really enjoyable. I don't know if you've ever. Check them out. They're also kind of deck-building games. Now, I've definitely heard of Food Fight, but it's one of those things where people tell me that it's really good, and I think, really, it's a Food Fight thing. It's like, yes. like I can't help but think of it as like a kitty kind of game, which yeah, is unfair. It's definitely not, and there's a really fun uh, iOS app for that as well, if you just want to try out a little bit of it. So oh, you mean you can play it on the iOS, Food Fight? Yes. Yep. It's the full game? Yes. Oh. Huh. So you can do like, async, and you can do... Uh, a variety. You can play against AI. They have a little campaign mode and stuff as well. So I guess the question I have for you about that, Andrew, is uh, why wasn't I alerted? I I assumed you were. I apologize. <laughs> That's good to know. I I will definitely check that out. I think. Uh, you, uh, let me double check, but I believe it was actually Playdeck that did that version as well. Whoa. So, yeah, yeah Playdeck okay. in partnership with uh, Cryptozoic. So. All right. Well, you know what? I I always I love that when I can suss out a board game through an iOS port first. Uh, so that's good to know. All right. All right. So, so you you were a backer, too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes, yes. So I was a backer, too. So they will not be uh, – obviously, Cryptozoic can't manage to do all of the rewards that were promised, uh, all of the other miscellany. But they are going to uh, – as of today, they've announced that they're going to get every backer who pledged enough for the game, the actual game. Holy cats, that's great news. And, and I wonder what that does to uh, – because in Eric Chevalier's updates, uh, he basically said, oh, I'll get you your money back. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of issuing refunds now. Uh, so I wonder if that means we will not only get our money back, but we'll get a free game. It's quite possible. Maybe Cryptozoic <laughs> should put a little PayPal tip jar. Uh, <laughs> hey, if you uh, get your money back and you want to send some – right, right. Uh, I kind of doubt we're going to be getting refunds from Eric. Schreiber. Oh, I I really doubt it as well. <laughs> yeah, it, but, it it sounded like that's a long shot. <laughs> right. 
Right. Yep. And I I recall reading somewhere today as well that the oh yes the print and play version of uh, Doom that came to Atlantic City is live now. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So if you if you got an itch to play it and can't wait for the actual boxed copy, you can always get out the old inkjet. Okay. So. Here, Andrew, is my my deepest darkest fear about this whole situation. The worst thing that could possibly happen now is if the game isn't any good. <laughs> I'll be so crushed. <laughs> I know, through all of this, all of these ups and downs and this emotional roller coaster, it better at least be, you know, the bare minimum is it has to at least be eh, pretty good. You know, anything less and I'll, I'll be crushed as well. Yeah, so. <laughs> in, the, in the immortal words of uh, George Bush, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you. You, you, you can't fool me again. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, all right, so there is our uh, news of the week. Uh, now on to our choices for games of the week. Uh, Andrew, why don't you start us out? What have you chosen this week for your game of the week? All right, so uh, I kind of thought for a long time about this because uh, my game of the week has kind of been on the site for a while now, uh, for the last five days or so. Uh, and I I think I actually am going to go ahead and pull the trigger and uh, make Rogue Legacy my game of the week. <laughs> you can't make that your game of the week? I fine, guess you fine, can. fine. I'll make Dark Souls my game of the week. <laughs> oh, good <laughs> lord. Happy right, let's, yeah, let's go back to Rogue Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> How about Dota 2? Oh, good lord. Yeah, uh, Dark Souls. Let's talk Dark Souls. By how all about means. we... Uh, Cue up yakety sax and talk about Dark Souls. <laughs> Are you playing all three of those, by the way? Are you really into Dota 2? Uh, yes, I'm playing all three. Uh, my time uh, outside of the lab when uh, my wife and I are sitting on the couch and playing some video games. She's playing uh, the Age of Empires HD remake, and uh, I'm playing either Lo- Rogue Legacy, Dota 2, or Dark Souls at the moment. So I think I'd rather have had your wife on the podcast. Oh, well, I'll tell her. <laughs> you can call her up next week, and she'll, uh, she'll make some time for you, I'm sure. Uh, I hate to be a jerk, the sexist jerk this is going to sound like, but I I am, I am find it so rare when, you know what, I'm not even, I was basically going to make some stupid comment about, I'm surprised when women like real-time strategy games. Um, so, uh, well, but I've already put my foot in it. Uh, how did your wife get into Age of Empires HD? Like, was she into RTSs? Is it she just, is, she likes that one? I think she actually got to it uh, at kind of a different angle. She's always been a huge history buff. Ah. And so, uh, as a kid, you know, that's kind of an interesting history game to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I recall I, I had many fond hours on my PC uh, when I was younger, playing Age of Empires 2. And uh, I think there's there's a neat, neat little uh, like kind of campaign uh, for some of the different factions. I mean, there's the Joan of Arc story in there. Yep. Um, and so it, it's just a, a kind of an interesting game to get into from that side of things. And since then, she's really been an RTS fan. So Very good, good. Uh, your, your wife, you, tell her I said this, your wife is awesome, Andrew. So there. I will. She's been. I've been trying to get her into uh, Sins of a Solar Empire, mm-hmm. but uh, she's not quite ready to make that leap yet. I don't think. There's a. There's a lot going on in that game uh, versus the uh, Age of Empires two mechanics. I get. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're both very intricate in ways, but Sins can be daunting in a 
in a unique way that other RTSs aren't. Yes, that's a tough nut to crack. Right. Did you uh, did you tell her that she can collect cards from <laughs> Sins of a Solar Empire and I, then make a badge? You know that's genius because she doesn't care about the badges. I should just have her play. <laughs> now wait a minute. Are there no are there no badges for Age of Empires HD? Because that's on Steam as well. Uh, there might be for that one. Right. I'm not familiar though. She so. might uh, she might give you her cards then. So. That's true. Let's, uh, uh, set her up. All right. So, and, so uh, you pick the, either uh, either Dota Two, Rogue Legacy, or Dark Souls. Any I'll let one you of those guys, is cool. Oh, we yeah. get to vote. Awesome. All right. I am gonna vote on Dark Souls. Nick, what's your vote? I am going to vote on Dota Two because I know it pisses you off. <laughs> See, you are you. It's like voting for Nader in the election. You're going to be yeah. the spoiler. All right. So what that does, then you now, Andrew, have to pick whether to talk about Dota Two or Dark Souls. All right. Well, I'm going to pick Dark Souls because okay. that that game has gotten under my skin in a way that uh, games have not in a in quite some time, other than Rogue Legacy. So is uh, this a, something you come to recently, or is this something you've been plugging away at for a while? It is actually so. I, I bought the game on launch day. Uh, my friend had played Demon Souls and was so excited about Dark Souls, and he wanted to play through it together. And uh, so I went out and bought it on launch day. And I, I got I don't know if you guys are really familiar with this, uh, but I spent probably an hour or two in the asylum trying to kill that stupid asylum demon, the very first kind of tutorial boss in the game, and just getting punished over and over and over again. <laughs> Hmm? And so I finally muddled through that, and I made it uh, through the Undead Berg and made it to the uh, Taurus Demon that stands on the bridge, kind of right before the game really opens up. And he just killed me, and just over and over and over again, and I just said, you know what, I'm done. So I put the game in mothballs for about, I don't know, until sometime in uh, March of this year, and uh, my friend finally convinced me to buy the the uh, the PC version. So what were you on? You were on the 360. I was on the 360. Yeah. Okay. So I bought the uh, the Prepare to Die edition uh, on the PC, and I said, "All right, but you have to kind of talk me through this because I am I'm not really enthusiastic about this. But if it's something you want to do together, I'll you know I'll pony up the money and I'll put in the time. That's fine." And good lord, I have put more time into Dark Souls now than he has in the year that he's owned it, <laughs> in a few short months. So, uh, I so I, I think a lot of people there's you know obviously it's kind of punishingly difficult, um, but to me it kind of feeds back into those similar rogue-like tendencies where each. I, I kind of picture each little bit where I'm trying to get to a boss as its own kind of distinct little run, and I'm just trying to make it to the next thing, and always, you know, just trying to improve on my last high score, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the difficulty is really challenging, but it's, I think it's honestly fair. I'd say the only thing you could criticize them is that there's not enough in the world, and you have to get invested into it to really kind of drill down and make sure you're reading item descriptions and things. And the lore is all there, and it's fascinating once you get to that point. I actually ended up buying, at one point, hitting one of those frustrating walls, and they're, uh, I don't know about, well, 
Yeah, they're fairly frequent. Uh, how you deal with the frustration of the wall determines whether or not you're into the game. But, you know, there are constantly walls you're hitting where you have to figure out an approach or how to get somewhere, how to get past something. Uh, and at one point, when I was up against one of those walls, I got the, the strategy guide, which is this great, big, beautiful coffee table book. It's, it's a fantastic piece of work. Um, and I think more than anything, that almost like I flipping through that, realizing how much is in here, how how much I had yet to sort of discover and explore and how rich it was and all the details and the stats. I think I blew a fuse. Like I, I really admire the game and I love what they've done. But at, at a certain point with some games, I just have to say this, this is too big. I cannot wrap my head around this. <laughs> and I kind of feel that's what happened with Dark Souls. Yeah. Playing the game itself is really only the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's a fantastic internet community that's kind of built itself around this game, too. And just being immersed in that now has really just kind of made everything new again, even as I've been playing it for you know, probably the... I'm on New Game Plus 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 with one character. and uh, Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, uh, and I I finished the game as a soul level one, so without ever leveling up the character. Um, I've gone through that way. Um, there's all sorts of unique challenge runs and different builds you can do. And just the game is so different, and it changes every time you play it, I think. So that, that to me, just keeps bringing me back. So uh, when you When you... Tell me a bit about this community, because for a lot of us who are just dilettantes with Dark Souls, you know, we know of the social element as, oh, people can write on the floor, and then if you do this crazy stuff, you can invade other people's worlds, uh, and I've never done any of that. Um, so it sounds like there's more with this community. Tell me what you mean when you talk about that. So, uh, yeah, there's, uh, as with most games, there's wikis out there, but mm -hmm. the wikis for this game are just so rich with content with people who have absolutely poured their passion into um, relating the lore. Um, I'm actually going to call out a YouTube channel, uh, Epic Name Bro. Um, he does, uh, does run-throughs, he does lore videos where he talks about uh, you know, the different characters and their backstory. Um, there's uh, a ton of content that was unfortunately cut from the game, People aren't sure whether it was time or budget, or maybe it just didn't quite fit, but there's an active mod community out there that while they're not modding the game and releasing it all the time uh, with these characters added back in, they're looking at the cut dialogue that's built into the game, looking at the characters and piecing together what the story really means. Um, so it's just it's a really great kind of you know message board environment to get into. Um, and there's just so many uh, informational videos out there, people who really care about this game. Uh, Nick, how much have you plugged away at Dark Souls? I have uh, plugged away for uh, maybe 10, 10, 12 hours, dozen hours on it, so not very far at all. Um, and did, did it not get its hooks into you? Did you sort of feel it wasn't for you, or what, what, why, only, why so little time? Yeah, I, for me, the... I, I, I can play it, and I, I totally understand why it, you know, flips the trigger on some people. Uh, I, I just get way too frustrated. I just, I get to points in the game, and I, you know, after like the fifth or sixth death or whatever, I'm like, ah, just F this. <laughs> I'll just go do something else. <laughs> it really I, does. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry, Ed, that's how I was when I first threw it in the mothballs for, you know, months, uh, but... 
fighting through, at least for me, and I, it definitely reacts for different people different ways, but when I finally beat those challenges that I've been coming up against for a week or more, and I've just, you know, I've only got a little bit of time to put into it, so I'm going to try and run this boss or do this thing, and oh, I failed a few times, so I don't have any more time tonight, so I've got to put it down. But uh, when I finally hit that, it gives me one of the best sense of accomplishments I've ever gotten from playing a video game. And I think and, that's what keeps me coming back to it more than and, anything and, else. And that's, I think, the genius of it, too, Andrew, is I, I've said before, I feel that Dark Souls violates a lot of the tenets of modern-day game design. And one of those important tenets is don't frustrate the player, you know, don't run the player off. Dark Souls, to its immense credit, is willing to do that. But yeah. the trade-off is that the sense of gratification you get, you can't get in other video games. It gives you things that you just – that rush that you talk about, Andrew, is simply not available in modern video games. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's one boss called the Four Kings, um, and a lot of people really get stuck there for a while. It's a very tough boss, um, and it uh, – even now, even though I've beaten it so many times, every time I get to that point in the game where I have to go face them, I get adrenaline rushes. And, like, my, my palms <laughs> sweat, and I stand there right on the ledge about to drop down into their area, and I just go, oh, am I really going to do this? All right, game face on, let's go. We're going to win. <laughs> and then I just get destroyed, and then it's back to the bonfire, and here I go again. But it's just... Every time I get that same adrenaline rush, and when I finally beat it, I jump off the couch and I'm screaming, yeah! And my <laughs> wife's going, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dark Souls, glad to see it's going strong. Uh, what yeah. uh, is there, it's not a sequel, but isn't there some sort of spiritual spiritual air in the works? Do we know so what's next? Actually, Dark Souls 2 is coming. Oh, there uh, is a sequel, okay, right. Yes, but people... They haven't really made it super clear if it's going to be a prequel or a sequel or where it takes place in terms of the timeline of the universe. So people have really been trying to suss that out, which has been a lot of fun online to kind of speculate and trade theories. But Is uh, that a next-gen uh, console game? Is it a it PC? is a PC and current consoles. Oh. For now, yes. Is there, so released, uh, do, is there a release date for it? I believe it is in the spring. I I'm totally blanking on okay. it right now, which is really. But it's not an imminent release. It's not something that's uh, that's soon. No, I believe it is. Uh, sad. Not sure that they've even announced a date yet. Okay. I'll probably get comments in the video if someone knows. Please correct me. But uh, <laughs> good. Yeah. So, but there is actually a spiritual successor. I don't mean to take up too much time. But I believe it's called Lords of the Fallen. That's what I'm um, thinking of. Right. Okay. So what so is that? It's a, I believe it's being developed by a German company. I, I can't remember the developer off the top of my head, but there's a, again, there's a kind of a fallen god who uh, humanity, from what I gather from trailers and E3 stuff, humanity overthrew the god and imprisoned it, and then now his like lord, so the lord of the fallen, lords of the fallen gods are uh, surfacing and kind of terrorizing the planet, and so you're. That's really about all I know is that it kind of has similar looking boss, you know, climactic fights and things. So, but the, the developers have said, you know, clearly we're making something in the style of Dark Souls, right? Like it's I believe not... they called it like a child of Borderlands 2 and Dark Souls. Ah, right. Which Good. still, the Borderlands 2 in there. I love Borderlands 2, but I'm trying to figure out what kind of loot churn or what they're meaning by that. I'm guessing that just means that even if you didn't like Dark Souls, we want you to like this. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you're just plugging away at Borderlands, yeah, exactly. Please buy our game. <laughs> All right, uh, Nick, that leaves you. What do you then have for your... You know what? Actually, I'll go next. Uh, let's see. I have kind of two things here. One charming, one crass. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick two half games of the week. And what I'm going to do is instead of talking too much about Pikmin 3, um, which is if you've played Pikmin 1 or Pikmin 2, you know exactly what you're getting because that's what you're getting. Pikmin 1, Pikmin 2, it's the same kind of stuff. It's just a puzzle game. Um, But it adds, you know, you now have three Pikmin that you're playing instead of just all MR. Uh, And so far... I, I just see, yeah, okay, it's just more Pikmin, whatever. I'm, I'm digging it. But what I want to point out are four reasons to play Pikmin 3. Four new things that you didn't get with the previous Pikmins that I really appreciate here. The first thing, man, is it nice to see Pikmin in HD. You know, it's a Wii U game, so it's not on the, the regular Wii. It really looks nice. And I know there was an HD remaster of, I guess, Pikmin 2, um... But I didn't see that. So this is my first experience seeing really nice latest-gen graphics in a Pikmin game, and it looks really sweet. Uh, the second thing, uh, some of these boss battles are really good. Uh, they're difficult, and a lot of Pikmin die. It's a massacre in there. But there are times during these some of these boss battles that I'm just like, wow, yeah, go Nintendo. Uh, they, they've really done a good job with some of these. Uh, the third thing, flying Pikmin. What I admire about this is it completely breaks the level, pretty much. When a Pikmin can just carry something in a straight line and go past all the little winding paths and the monsters, and I I love that they've done that. Uh, And then the fourth fourth thing is there's a multiplayer feature, split screen, where uh, each player is playing a Pikmin with his own little spaceship, and he's going out and gathering the little dudes and and beating monsters and getting through certain doors and whatnot, managing his different colors of Pikmin. Uh, This head-to-head mode is called Bingo Battle. And each player has on his screen a card, and instead of numbers, there are little objects And your objective to win the game is to draw a line of four of these objects. So you're running around this map. Uh, It gets really messy when your Pikmin bump into other Pikmin, and the screen is just crazy with different with this, you know different players' Pikmins running over each other. Um, but what you're trying to do is gather four objects so you can look and see what objects the other guy is going for and try to block him by getting one of the objects he needs before he gets it uh, and, and shutting down the line that he's trying to draw. So I really like this bingo battle option. Um, so for those four reasons, the HD graphics, some of the boss battles, the flying Pikmin, and Bingo Battle, uh, I think I ultimately feel that Pikmin 3 is, is well worth getting, even though it's just a lot more Pikmin 1 and 2. <laughs> but that is not my game of the week. Uh, <laughs> instead, I'm going to pick for my game of the week uh, something that I didn't expect to like uh, and that won me over uh, in spite of... Very low expectations. So there's a remake of a game called Rise of the Triad, which was a a first-person shooter from that Duke Nukem era. Uh, I didn't play a lot of the original Rise of the Triad. I remember it being a kind of an also-ran next to things like Doom and Quake and and Duke Nukem uh, and some of the clever stuff Monolith was doing, like Blood. but I remember it had, you know, a lot of jumping pad things, and, uh, you know, I played a little bit of it. So I booted this one up, this remake, which is done by a company called Interceptor, um, just expecting to sort of plink around at it. And, uh, and it is so unremittingly dumb that I can't <laughs> help but like it. 
it the, the, it opens with this ridiculous death metal guitar riff that I just couldn't turn off quickly enough because I don't want to listen to it when I'm playing it. But when the game boots up and it plays that death metal guitar stuff, it's just so dumbly charming. Um, and and there's a lot of little touches like this in the game that that work for me. Like when you kill a dude. And he blows up pretty much every – got a gun in this, but most of the time you're using some variant of a rocket launcher. Like the game is just full of excuses to, okay, here's a rocket launcher that fires two rockets. Okay, here's one where the rocket makes uh, additional explosions. Uh, here's one where it's a guided rocket. Here's one that's a rocket that flies in random directions. But for the most part, anytime you're not using your gun, which is what you resort to if you don't have a rocket launcher, you're just blowing dudes up. So one of the things that happens is when you blow up a dude, he, of course, goes into gibbs. Little pieces of him go all over the place. If you are at a low ceiling, blood splashes up on the ceiling and then drips down. And it's very kind of retro graphics, not to say it's ugly, but and it's not retro like a game like Monaco. It doesn't look like Adventure on the 2600. You know, the graphics look good, but they're clearly designed to kind of mimic that old sprite-based 3D shooter. So... When a guy blows up, there's blood all over the ceiling dripping down. It's like a car wash of blood. Um, it's just so ridiculous. And sometimes you will shoot a guy, and his eyeballs will pop out towards you and stick on the monitor and slide down the monitor. Um, if you, you pick up rice to heal yourself, but if you shoot a rocket launcher at the rice first so that it heats up and it's cooked – you'll heal more from eating that particular <laughs> bowl of rice. Uh, but but I just I'm I'm really the the simple gunplay with all these crazy overpowered weapons and even over overpowered power ups uh, is just really endearing uh, in a in a, a retro way that, that Duke Nukem was. Um, but there is also some smart stuff. For instance, things that I don't think I've seen in other shooters. Um, the enemies, for instance, will play dead. Sometimes, like you shoot a guy, and there's this ridiculous, poorly voice acted. Oh, I'm shot, and and the guy dies, and he's lying there. And sometimes he tricks you. He gets up and he attacks you anyway when you get closer. Uh, sometimes, and I've never seen this before. Uh, maybe you folks listening can uh, comment if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've ever seen a shooter where an enemy will run up to you and steal your gun and try to shoot you with it. Which is uniquely infuriating. It makes me hate the guy even more and want to shoot him harder. Uh, they also have enemies that will throw a net on you. I've seen that in other games, but uh, the idea is you're fighting a guy and suddenly he whips out a net and he throws it and you gotta use your knife to cut yourself out of the net. Um, so for, for a big, dumb, endearing game, it does have some smart little touches. And certainly the level design. Like there's a lot of crazy hidden stuff and little jumping tricks that you have to do. There's no map. So a lot of the levels are these difficult puzzles. Like, God, how do I get over there? What secret door did I miss? Uh, I kind of respect how difficult the level design can be and how it doesn't hold your hand to get you through it. Um, so, uh, against all odds, I'm really liking this uh, Rise of the Triad uh, remake. Nick, I know that's something you'd express some interest in. Don't don't you think you're you're above this sort of thing, Nick? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I I'm very excited, but in fact, I I probably will play it uh, right after this. <laughs> it's really dumb. I'm warning you. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I it's funny. I I remember playing the old. Uh, you know, the old one, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah, you're right. You know, when it came out, it was it, it was sort of overshadowed by everything else yeah. that was you know on the because there was just a glut of Doom also rans. Yep. You know, just a ton of them, and I, I think this one just, just sort of got lost in the shuffle. But it is one of those games that people look, you know, kind of in hushed uh, reverence. People will talk about, you know, oh, you remember, you know, dog mode in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you remember dog mode and oh, you remember the Excalibat in uh, <laughs> in the game. And it was like, oh, yeah, that was so great. Oh, you get the bat that glows green and you smash people. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a shame that more of the stuff from Rise of the Triad like wasn't ripped off by other games or I, I guess just not enough people played it. It was just kind of a cult hit. Yeah, I, I know one of the things it did with it, the old version, uh, which was, you know, really unique at the time was. Uh, you could choose different characters to to actually start, and they had different yep. stats. Like, in fact, there was, uh, and I remember, like it got kind of flack at the time, and it, you know, obviously very different from the kind of flack we're talking about today. But at the time, it got a little flack because the female character, you know, had way less hit points and was shorter in the game. So she couldn't reach some of the <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was one of those. It was like, oh, she's much faster than everyone else, which, you know, okay, that's great. But then she couldn't, you know, jump as high <laughs> <laughs> because what? she was shorter. And it was one of those trade-offs. Well, you know, F you. That's, that's what you get. <laughs> I don't know if they've done that here. I, I was playing the, the chick, and then there's the, the burly black guy who I think has all the best um, one-liners. So I, I started playing him mainly. But uh, the different characters, at least from what I can tell, they only vary in terms of the stats that you're given when you pick by uh, speed and health. or It's called something else. It might be like speed and durability or whatever. But basically, the faster ones have fewer hit points. The slower ones have more hit points. But what I don't understand about that, in multiplayer, I can see why that would be valuable. In single player, I don't understand. Maybe there's achievements involved or something, but I don't understand why I would care about how fast I go in single player, um, which is why I like the idea of that, but it, it doesn't seem like it's a very well-fleshed-out system. Um, well, it isn't part of it there's like a time attack tied into the score. Now right? you say that, but I wonder, I don't think I mean, I don't know how, is. how deep it is. I don't think there is. It does it's a scoring game and it does give you points at the end. I meant to check that, but I I remember being surprised because of that that it didn't record my time. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe it does cuz it also doesn't do a very good job of of highlighting this idea, each time you play a level, there's a completion status based on how many things that you found, based on what the difficulty you played. It gives you a score. It puts you on leaderboards. But that information is not very well integrated into the front end. Uh, I think that's one of Interceptor's great failings, is they've created this cool system that makes you want to replay the levels to completion, and they've buried it. Um, so if there is a time attack, uh, and if that is part of your score, I, I missed it, uh, and that's my bad. But that would make... That would be a great reason to play a fast, frail character. Um, yeah. yeah. I have a question. I'm going to kind of show my experience with this genre. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, out of curiosity, how does it compare to like a uh, painkiller, Hell and Damnation, or like a serious Sam? Uh, uh, 
game. Sure. Uh, I would say it, it, it's painkiller, I think, is ingenious. Like painkiller doesn't have an ounce of dumb in its body, even when it does things that look dumb. Painkiller, I, I adore that game. So I don't feel it compares in that it's nowhere near as good a shooter as Painkiller. Painkiller is all about this really cool tactical variety amongst the weapons. It's about cool creature design and even AI behaviors. Uh, it's about these awesome uh, gothic level design. Uh, Painkiller also does great stuff with collectibles, with secret bits. Uh, Painkiller even has an economy where you unlock special powers that you can slot. So it's nowhere near uh, – it doesn't have anywhere near the design smarts that I feel Painkiller has. But I feel way better than Serious Sam as far as it just sh- shoot a bunch of bullets and <laughs> stupid things and giggle like a little girl. Uh, you know, it, it clearly – I feel way better than Serious Sam. Um, unfortunately, here's a huge drawback. Uh, it doesn't have co-op. This would be such a great – and that's a that's a huge selling point for the remake of Painkiller, which just came out, um, and for Serious Sam. You know, Serious Sam – I think they even get like eight people in there. You get some crazy co-op of Serious Sam going. There's nothing quite like that. Yeah. So, un- unfortunately, uh, Rise of the Triad is single-player only. Now, actually, I say that. There is competitive multiplayer, which is just running around like crack-addled grasshoppers and shooting <laughs> at each other. Uh and I just have little interest in that sort of thing. Also, no bots, which I'm really disappointed at. Yeah. Um, but as far as that great campaign, no co-op. And I, I feel that that's kind of a – that would have been a great selling point. Yeah. So. I feel I feel the youngness of my age sometimes. I watched the 20-minute uh, the uh, multiplayer demo for Rise of the Triad and just went, you can move that fast in a multiplayer <laughs> shooter? <laughs> It really is ridiculous. I mean, it's I, so retro there. It just I, you, I felt like everyone was moving like the scout in Team Fortress 2. It's yep. like everyone was just like, bam, what's happening? And not only that, but it's full of jumping pads. I mean, it's all about like jumping and it's all all this crazy verticality stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, there's my game of the week is uh, a, a little rise of the triad. Um, did did we do your game of the week, Nick? Uh, no, not yet. Oh, yeah. I don't want to skip you. All right. Well, Nick. What do you have, then, for Game of the Week? Well, I, I'm going to go in a completely opposite direction from you, uh, but in the, in a similar genre. It is a shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel and, like I can guess this. Give me more clues. Go okay, ahead. wait. Yep. A, a, here's my first clue. It actually relates to what Andrew was talking about in that uh, it's from the same company that is making Lords of the Fallen. Oh. Oh, dadgummit, I wasn't listening closely enough. I think he said they were German. So a shooter made by Germans. Man, I don't know. Okay, here's my other hint. Wait, hold on, Andrew, does that give? Does that tip his hand for you? Do you know? It hasn't yet. Okay, it's, what's your other hint? It's dumb, but not in endearing ways. Is it recent? Uh, fairly recent. Okay, tell me if... Would we know the name of the developer? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You'll know the name of the developer. Wait, yeah. so the folks that did Lords of the Fallen is a known developer? Well, the yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> okay, give me the name of the developer. I'm going to ask so the that. The developer right. is City Interactive. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> So you probably know them, or you should, because they make a crap ton of shovelware. 
Now, I I hope that doesn't <laughs> deflate your excitement for Lords of the Fallen. I, I, Lords of the Fallen honestly does look good. Yeah, yeah. it it actually does look very good. I've I've checked it out before, read a little bit about it. It does look very good. Uh, City Interactive makes a lot of games, and they also publish a lot of games. So I don't know if Lords of the Fallen is a game that they're making or just publishing. Okay, it's not really clear. I can't tell. Why are uh, you playing a City Interactive shooter? So <laughs> the game I'm talking about is Sniper Ghost Warrior Two. Ah, uh, yes. So the most charitable way I can describe this is uh, this game is the most polished and well-produced piece of shovelware I've ever played. (laughs) And I mean, it is really technically well-made. Sounds are great. Animations are terrific. Textures look good. They use the uh, the CryEngine 3. So, I, I mean, as far as, yeah, as far as... It being a legit shooter engine, it's really good. Um, the production values look high. I'm actually surprised. It, I mean, it doesn't look like they're using a bunch of, you know, free sound effects or anything in it. Um, it it's it, it is in every way that you could think of a you know technically good game. And at, Tom, I think this is the greatest example of why you cannot review games uh, like you would consumer products okay because if you did sniper ghost warrior 2 would get a 10 out of 10 or a 5 out of 5 whatever you want to give them, right <laughs> i mean everything's great right there's nothing you can say about oh it's got single player it's got a good 12 hour single player game and everything works it's got multiplayer everything works there it's okay uh, okay there's no flaws it's awful <laughs> well, that's, so awful. here's what. Yeah, so well, I was going to say, after everything you've said, what's making it shovelware? I don't understand. Where's so, the drawback? Yeah. So the first thing is, it's completely soulless. Everything in this game is designed to mimic uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, I guess. Uh, it, it, down to, you know, there's that mission where you're in a combat zone and you got to follow your sniper buddy. And it's completely, you know, you're led by the hand, and he's motioning you around. Oh, come this way. Okay, wait. Okay, wait. Get down. Okay, let him pass. Does he? Does okay, he sound? Get up. Okay, let's go this way. Okay. Does he sound like a creepy, weird uncle? Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, well, yeah. First of all, everybody in the game speaks with the, you know, the pseudo military horse. The you standard know, gruff man yeah. voice, right? So, so that's the first thing. Um, the in-between mission briefings, I mean, they look like they were lifted straight out of Call of Duty, uh, you know, with the satellite kind of briefings, and there's a narrator, you know, oh, we got to get Ramirez because he's stolen the nuclear blah, 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 <laughs> little satellite things tracking around, oh, oh, you're going to Chechnya now, great, okay, whatever, <laughs> um, the, the levels are completely, you know, set-piece-based. Um, the enemies are all pretty much the same. I mean, they look different, but they all behave the same way. The is, missions, is, there, is there a mission where you have to man a gun emplacement and a bunch of dudes run at you? Yes. Yeah. Do you ever in this game shoot down a helicopter that you know of? Yes. Is there... Is there let, me, let, let me rephrase okay. that. You have to shoot the pilot in the helicopter, so the helicopter goes down. So that's the other thing. Everything in this game is centered around you being a sniper. 
That's so, what I wondered about because you explained it like Call of Duty, but I think of a sniper thing as a guy who just sits a long way off and does that sniper mission kind of thing from some shit. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> but everything actually getting in the game yeah. is everything in the game is sort of twisted into a sniper mission, but it is still very Call of Duty. It's it's uh, I can't even remember which Call of Duty, but there's the one where you're. The, uh, you know, in a jet, and you have to direct the guys as they're kind yeah. of modern. Through the air. Modern Warfare One. That you I, I thought it was gonna. Of, I thought Black Ops One. That yeah, there's that, a lot of that. There's a lot of missions, or parts of missions where you have to watch a team of special forces come into an area and sweep through and kill everyone, and you're the sniper on some cliff. You know, right. half a mile away, and like literally, you're zoomed in the whole time. You you can't even get. There's no option to get out of the zoom. So you're zoomed in in the scope, and you're just following these guys along, and you're plugging dudes as they you know come around the corner. Oh, there's a dude. Guy. Oh, there's the guard. Shoot him. Okay, great. Next. You know, <laughs> it's it's awful. And then to top it all off, right? The the shit cream on the shit cake here. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's got multiplayer. Oh, awesome. Yeah, go on. But it's, it's like this is your answer to the question, hey, what would multiplayer be like if everybody camped? <laughs> so everybody's a sniper? Everybody's a sniper. Everyone's a sniper. <laughs> and you go into a level. And the levels, by the way, are all made. Uh, they're all constructed like big bowls or something, right? There's. The, the outskirts of the level are where everyone spawns into, and then the middle part of the level, which is like a ravine or a big pit or the you know the bottom of the dam or whatever, uh, is no man's land. You can't even go there. There's no option to even get there. It's just a big ring where you kind of run around. Um, so you just spawn in, and you just look through the scope across at the other side of the ring and hope to see somebody stick their head up to look for you, and then you snipe them. <laughs> It's it's the worst thing. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. Well, the, again, this is my, the question I have. Why are you playing this? What? What's going on? Yeah, I am morbidly curious. This was my. This was it, like it was. You know, this is. In fact, this is one of the ones I picked up on the Steam sale uh, because I was able to sell a bunch of uh, you know the cards. Mm-hmm. Ah, I think it was in the Steam sale for like four dollars or something ridiculous. And I was like, yeah. Well, you know what? I like sci-fi movies. Let me <laughs> let me see what this is like because I'm pretty sure this is not going to be great. And I, I was Nick, correct. Let me ask you something that I know Andrew is wondering: uh, Does it have Steam cards? Oh, how you know, dare it you! Doesn't. <laughs> All right, Andrew, you dodged that bullet. You don't have to play it now. You don't even get Steam cards with it. Oh, the you ultimate betrayal. I know there, there are Steam achievements though, so there's that, but there's no there's no cards, there's no badge. Okay, you don't yeah, get here, a badge of shame for playing through Sniper Ghost Warrior yeah. Two. This here's game sounds like have. oh sorry, go ahead. It, it, does it have? Because uh, this would be like the cards for Andrew. This is the equivalent of my cards. Uh, Nick, does it have zombies? No. Good. Whew. I was worried no. for a minute there. No, but there, <laughs> no, that's the that's the other Sniper game. <laughs> Well, there is, isn't there one that's like sniper Nazi elite zombies? Zombie sniper, yeah, that's, that's the one set yeah. in World War II. This one is modern. Why aren't you playing that one? The good one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, the one thing I'll say is, 
they, I don't, I don't know if the developers just worked really cheaply or they just had a lot of assets left over from other games or whatever, but the game really does look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's nothing technically wrong with it. It's, it's, it really is the best piece of shovelware on a technical level that I play. Normally, when you play shovelware, you know you're gonna you, you expect okay, well, there's gonna be a couple hard crashes. I'm gonna get some horrible, you know, artifacting. At some point, the frame rate's gonna go to two frames a second. <laughs> this is you, not like that. I, well, yeah, it, it makes me wonder why they bother, and maybe they're at this place where they're trying not to be shovelware, like they're wanting to be competitive. Although. I kind of feel like it's not that hard, and I say this as a guy who's never done it, but it, it can't be that difficult to make a game look good these days. Uh, you know, you license a good engine, you scale down the design you're having to do. Uh, you know, if, if this is a, a linear corridor shooter and they only have to worry about draw distance and it's not some big open world thing, it can't be that hard to make a good-looking game, I would think. Um so yeah, who knows what's going on with that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm surprised that they licensed uh, the CryEngine three or whatever you call it. I mean, I, I don't know how expensive that is, but it's not free. So right. Well, it's probably cheaper than making their own. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know if there's a, you know they could have done it in what Unity or something. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the CryEngine also, uh, Nick, I don't know. I've talked about a a zombie game which I adore called State of Decay, which at times looks so butt-ugly. I mean, I love it, but they're doing a big, ambitious open-world thing, and at times it's really ugly. I was astonished to discover that they also licensed the CryEngine. You know, you you play State of Decay, you would never guess this is the same engine as the Crisis games. Um, Oh, wow. Now, I didn't know that. (laughs) That's the CryEngine, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Uh, uh, So... uh, yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. Sorry, I just was thinking the last Sniper Elite was an original, or yeah, the first one was an original Xbox game. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out why seven years later they decided to say, hey, you know what everyone loved the first time around? Sniper Elite. That, have they not made any in the intervening time? Like, is it that old? Uh, so Sniper Elite was 2005 for Xbox. I okay. re- recall distinctly because I was so excited for it. Because uh, you didn't know any better at that point, you think, "Yeah, a sniper game sounds awesome." Elite Soldier, sure, sign me up, right? Why exactly. not? <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, snipe, yeah. Actually, you know what it is? Uh, sniper Elite V2 is actually just a remake of the original Sniper Elite. You mean the one that Nick is playing? Yeah, it's Sniper Elite V2, correct? <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's the one in World War Two. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of a different game. I apologize. Yeah, that's. that's, that's I, I think that's the one that people say is better. <laughs> okay. What's the one that you're playing called again, Nick? I, I'm playing uh, Sniper colon Ghost Warrior 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I you're apologize. not elite. You're just a mere ghost warrior. You are yeah. no elite soldier. Uh, okay. that, I guess that is difficult. If you're going to make a game, uh, you can't really trademark the word sniper. I'm guessing. Like That's, that's a difficult thing to do with brand identity. Uh, I'll just, my, my brain connected the two snipers across... I would have thought the same thing, Andrew. Yeah, I totally would have thought. How many? Why would there be multiple games named Sniper? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so. very strange. Uh, uh, Nick, are you done with it? Are you ready to move on to something good like Rise of the Triad? Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely ready to move on. <laughs> All right. 
Secret Sniper. I, def- I did not really enjoy my time with Sniper Ghost Warrior 2. <laughs> uh, I could have warned you. Maybe next time, come to me and I can help you. Like You're like, I really want to play a shooter. Should I play Sniper Ghost Warrior? And I, I'll tell you, Nick, no. No. Se- step away. <laughs> <laughs> step away from the inexpensive game, sir. <laughs> All right, well, uh, so there we go. Those are our games of the week. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, I've really appreciated the, the Rogue Legacy Diary. Uh, and there are a few more entries on the way, I understand. I'm looking forward to those. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. And uh, drink a fat tire for us on the lake tomorrow. Will do. All right. Uh, listeners, uh, be sure to, uh, let's see, we are reviving our Twitter account for Quarter to Three and our Facebook page. Believe it or not, we're going to dip our toe back into this social media stuff, uh, toxic as it may be. Uh, so I encourage you to go back to our Facebook page and uh, like it, whatever it's called. Yeah, like it. Uh, and follow us on Twitter at, at QT3. Uh, we'll have more of a presence going there going forward. Uh, some exciting stuff coming for the, the site, which I'll be talking about soon. And next week, here's a teaser for you. I get a fair amount of press releases, uh, and a lot of them are kind of, uh, I don't mean sad in a bad way, but sad like, oh, you've made this indie game. I really want to be supportive, but nothing you're doing looks like something I would enjoy or something I would want to play. I hope you find an audience. I, I'm not it. I, but anytime I get a press release, I will at least read it. I'll look over, you know, a, a YouTube video is always appreciated. Even screenshots are fine. I'll, I'll always give something a look. So I recently got a press release for a game where I felt the same thing. Like, oh, you're making... A game in genre X, which I have no desire to play, and I hope you find an audience. Uh, but you know, let me watch your video. Holy cats! What it? What? Whoa! Okay, let me download this pronto. So I discovered, completely unexpected, from one of these sometimes sad little press releases, a game that I really love. Uh, it won't be out until next month, but it was created by uh, two brothers who quit their jobs and are now indie developers, and I'm really eager to talk about it. So that's my teaser for you next week. Uh, it's an indie game that I bet you haven't heard of that I heartily encourage you to play when it comes out in August, and the two brothers who made it will be with us next week week. Uh, so join us for that. Uh, thank you for listening. On behalf of myself, Andrew Neller, and uh, Nick Diamond, and we'll see everyone here next week. 